Okay, we are back. You're listening to Floor Radio. I'm Dave Foster. Steve Simonson's on the line with us this morning, a pioneer in this business. Many remember him from the iFloor.com days. And Steve, how are you? It's great to have you on this program. Oh, it's certainly my pleasure, Dave. I'm doing very well, thank you. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has been a few days, yeah, at least. <laughs> a few days, a few years, it seems like. It's, uh, time, time flies. It, yeah, it does. A lot of people ask me, what, what's Steve doing? What's he up to? What what you been doing these last couple of years? Well, it's uh, I split my time mostly between uh, consultation and, and uh, helping other companies kind of figure out how to harness the web with flooring. And and uh, I even have done a new startup in mobile accessories uh, manufacturing where outside of flooring but still leverages the Internet and technology uh and that, that's kind of taken my time for the last few years, uh, flooring and technology, and then my own little mobile accessory startup. Interesting, interesting. Where, where might we find that if, we, if, if we'd like to check it out? Uh, for the mobile accessories, the brand is called Kiasi, K-Y-A-S-I. And uh, anybody can go to the site, uh, kiasi.com, or uh, search it on Amazon or the Internet. There's lots of places to buy it. Uh, we're happy to report uh, in just a couple of short years, we've served 28 countries already with uh, Next Day Air. Son of a gun, son of a gun. Well, I guess I have to ask you about iFloor, um, the pioneer, the first one on the block, as far as I can remember, in terms of online uh, floor coverings. You made the mold. Bring us up to date with uh, what's happened with that. Well, sure. Uh, you know, iFloor is a, a long and uh, uh, interesting road, that's for sure. A lot of people uh, are aware that iFloor went bankrupt in, I think it was 2008. But most people aren't aware that you know, I was not the owner or the CEO uh, when it when it reached its point of demise. Uh, I had sold to a venture capital company and, and uh, not like the, you know, leveraged uh, private equity and venture capital situation. They just got a little bit of cold feet during the uh, the housing, you know, blowing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, unfortunately, you know, when I sold, it was profitable and had zero debt. But when they uh, pulled the plug, it was heavily leveraged, and they were just concerned about future growth. Um, ironically, the 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 growth had fallen to only like twenty five or thirty percent during the uh, the housing bust. And, you know, a lot of people growing at that time would have been a miracle or considered uh, quite exceptional. But for private equity guys, that's not fast enough for them, and they, they weren't sure about the future. So they, they basically said, gosh, this is uh, too risky, and, uh, and decided to uh, shut it down, which was regrettable on every front. Yeah, it really is. Now, what about the bricks and mortar shift? As I recall, that was something that uh, the organization was moving into, towards the end. Talk about that. Yeah, um, in 2006, we, we had started a few locations, um, and our economics uh, were very, very good. Uh, many of those stores within a year had six or $700,000 of free cash flow. So for a, a one independent you know, retail store, that is a pretty exceptional number, especially that fast. And really, to be honest, uh, Lumber Liquidator's economics and our economics were quite similar on a per store basis. So the this growth strategy was to roll out more of those. Along the way, I do think once the equity company got involved and a lot of hiring happened, 
aspects of the model probably were compromised a little more than they should have been. But um, at my uh, level of information, even near the end, there was only every store was uh, break even plus or profitable. Uh, and there's only one store that was losing money, and it was a massive store in Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. It was only losing a couple thousand a month. So people have this idea that retail was not successful, uh, but in fact it, it was working and it did well. That what really I think made the decision for the uh, venture capital group is the overhead that they had hired was built for you know a 150 store rollout. As I recall, there's only around 40 stores, and that overhead's just a little too much uh, leverage uh, on a small footprint. So their choice was to kind of cut back and, and hunker down during the storm or, you know, pull the plug. And they they made the tough choice of pulling the plug, which, you know, hurt a lot of people and a lot of my friends uh, as well, both suppliers, customers, and uh, obviously my staff and many of the people I hired personally. I see. Well, it is too too bad, and uh, although you know a lot of people uh, are not with us any longer because of that uh, house, housing bust, it's just too bad that it happened to such a good idea and such a, an original idea. Really, I think they were the first on the block, weren't you, with this? Well, I think you know myself and uh, FloorShop.com started around the same time, probably the '98. Uh, range and uh, ultimately we we acquired floorshop.com uh, mm-hmm. uh, probably in the early 2004 or five time frame. So you know we we like to think that we really did you know help bring the uh, flooring industry onto the internet and uh, it was a certainly a, a wild ride. Many many lessons learned and a lot of fun technology lessons along the way. I should say I always thought that Steve Jobs saw your website and and uh, sort of lifted that for the iPhone. <laughs> well, I've, I've got a, a pending uh, litigation with uh, Apple about who, who came up with the i. But, uh, oh, oh really? Not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> he, he, I, I'll give full credit to Apple, as always. They are branding um, miracle workers. When I first started the company, it was called eFloorCovering.com, which is a mouthful. And uh, about... Four or five months in, uh, I determined it needed to be something smaller, and iMac was was huge at the time, and so I just looked up iFloor, and and there you go. <laughs> I see. Well, it certainly was a great name, and I uh, certainly uh, likely inspired some others. Um, the, the the internet and selling floor coverings. What's your take at this point in time as to the volume, the percentage? A floor covering that sold over the internet. Uh, well, it's hard to say because there's no official numbers released. Um, my sense is that it's it's growing, but growing modestly. Um, you know, the the market seems to be picking up from uh, my perspective, both you know traditional land based as well as online. And when the tide rises, everybody's sales go up. But you know, my sense is it's still far under ten percent. Um, and ironically, I think this is um, a unique time in the Internet where retailers actually have an advantage over national players. Talk about that. Well, when you think about a, a typical flooring retailer, it doesn't matter if they're you know, large or small, uh, aligned with a manufacturer buying group, they have a, a local store. And the... the 
changes in Google search algorithms and other search algorithms really have started to favor um, local searchers. And so back in the you know early 2000s, anytime somebody typed in a search term, everybody in the nation basically got the same results. So it was very easy to kind of uh, test and capture that flow of traffic. So if somebody's searching for live scoring and everybody on Google in the U.S. gets the same results, we can then kind of modify that stream of traffic and try to capitalize or monetize it. Uh, at least that was the theory back in the old days. Today, every person you know, has the potential to have its own unique search result based on their location and what Google knows about them, and they know a lot. Uh, what this means is if you search for buy flooring in your local market, you're most likely going to be paired up with you know, a few ads from Google that are probably localized or have the potential to be localized, mm -hmm. a number of um, addresses and local businesses that are near you and relevant to that search term, uh, as well as other modifications that Google is making, all, you know, instantly and invisible to most customers, but it's a geographic or geometric shift in strategy for Google and therefore for all independent retailers. But aren't there still paid uh, paid um, companies at the top, two to two or three? I mean, if you put in floor coverings, Calhoun, Georgia, aren't you likely to get Lowe's or Depot at the top? Well, it's possible, uh, but it's all depending on how much guys are willing to bid. So it's possible, for example, that Lowe's and Home Depot have a store in Calhoun. Therefore, they get both the local benefit that I was sure. just describing uh -huh. as well as their national scale benefit. What, what they don't have a necessary advantage on is the ability for local companies to advertise in the same local way. So, for example... Uh, whether it's Calhoun or Kansas City, it doesn't matter. You can register with Google your location, and you can bid just in your location for search traffic based on certain terms and then send them to your website. Or now you can even have them call your phone number. And that, again, is a massive shift in strategy. Um, and, you know, getting people to call your phone uh, at a local retail shop is a huge advantage over just sending them to a web page that, that may or may not work. This is going to conclude the first part of a three-part series. It features Steve Simonson. Steve is an online pioneer in the floor covering business, the originator of iFloor. He's now a consultant. He's also the CEO of Kiasi, a mobile accessories website. We'll air the second part of this series tomorrow. This is Floor Radio.